Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to uh, part two of our long-awaited politics episode featuring Young Chomsky, menswear enthusiast, and the producer of Last episode, we spoke with Young C about how his interest in menswear developed, uh, the reactions he gets from his audience online, and his personal philosophy uh, when it comes to getting dressed. This week, however, we are getting deeper into our main topic. We're getting deeper in the paint. Uh, we're going to be talking about labor issues, PR, uh, and the utility of looking cool when you're part of a political movement. I thought it was a really great episode, a really fun discussion. Uh, so I don't want to keep you any longer, so let's just get into it. Uh, here is the episode. Yeah, let's 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 get into let's that that's a good segue into the actual topic of today's episode. A big topic. I'm a good segue. I I, I was just riding on a good segue down the market I saw street. Joe bought it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, drove right off a cliff. Um, yeah, that's how the co-founder of uh, Segway died. Which yeah, is pretty funny. We talked about that on our podcast. Oh, okay. Synergy. Yeah, <laughs> brand um, synergy. Uh, yeah, but so we, we, we had you on to, to because, uh, again, you kind of at an interesting intersection, which is, I mean, left-wing politics. Art, and technology, also... culture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Science, go. technology, <laughs> um, engineering, and mathematics. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, like, so, like, menswear and and left-wing politics, which, yeah. again, you don't really, don't really, uh, never the two uh, shall meet, usually. But in mm-hmm. your case, they do meet all the time. Every day. Every day. <laughs> That's right. Um, so if we get into the big, the bigger overall overall topic in here, you know, you kind of talked about the aesthetics and politics. Maybe we could like kind of like dive more into that because, you know, the left. We, so full disclosure, because this is probably the second part of the podcast. We did record this. Uh, we tried. We attempted to record this mm-hmm. earlier, uh, but then we had some audio issues, so we're doing it again. And uh, it was round two, baby. Lost. Equipment malfunction. Yeah. We had interference yeah. from um, potential uh, state or non-state actors. <laughs> exactly. We're still going to be doing a full forensic investigation to they determine. Did, they didn't. They didn't want I, this episode to be released. No. Yeah. I did just watch the episode of Veep where uh, Selena tweets about her boyfriend and uh, her political opponent, but she does it openly and then she blames it on the Chinese, which is <laughs> that is crazy. that's a pretty safe tactic um, in this. I mean, it's you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually. Oh, I'm it, sure it does yep. happen. <laughs> yeah, it actually does happen. But you know, something we talked about the last time was how you know, again, we're, we're generalizing here. We don't mean it in any kind of ill will. But you know, the left doesn't really have, at least the current left doesn't have like you know a cohesive look to them while the right has been trying to capture that kind well, of and i mean you know, it it's it's again it makes sense why that is not the case because chances are right. if you are if if you are any kind of left wing left i'm going to say that again left wing <laughs> Do it again. radical in the united states yeah. things are probably not going great for you 
And that's how yeah. you reach the conclusions yeah. that you uh, came to politically. So again, it makes sense that there's there's a lot of people on the left who can't afford to, uh, to like be into close. Right. In, in the same. Yeah. Or it's it's kind of like a, you know sometimes it's not really like a something you don't really think about right. Like, yeah. It's like if you don't have if you're in a spot where you don't have the money or you don't have the time to do it, you don't really think is this trouser the right rise you know mm-hmm. or even in streetwear right i mean you know it's kind of a, a catch-all for the left but then the right again we're you know i'm looking just kind of back over the the tiki torch stuff and especially jordan pearson which if you watch our stream uh you know that we do not like jordan pearson at all but he's a great example of a guy who if you read his um little feature i think in the new york times something like that someone said that he he went from wearing like you know wearing kind of schlumpy suits to like he went through like an image consultant or something yeah. where he starts wearing like these started, yeah, three like double breasted vests and stuff. Double breast, like yeah. And and he even said that like, you know, he's trying to dress quote old school um, and, and, and approach it that way. So people can, you know, tie into his, his conservative, even though he doesn't call it that his conservative right wing politics with like a new, like they repackage something that people can, can get into now and be like, Oh yeah, that's logical. And, you know, and, and look at him. He's a professional guy. Right. And uh, especially now with the, with the uh, with the Hawaiian shirt stuff too, mm-hmm. right? That's kind oh, of like yeah, a that's, thing there. That's been that's been up a lot recently. There's this weird uh, right wing militia, the Boogaloo Boys, who kind of adopted uh, Aloha shirts. And now all of a sudden, you see like people on Twitter. You see the New York Times saying it's like, okay, well we gotta you gotta get rid of these. Like no one can wear them anymore. They've been tainted. Which mm-hmm. right. uh, I mean, we don't think that's the right. <laughs> way to approach a lot of things yeah but well but the, 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 yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there so let me start with like this aesthetics uh, yeah. well, and, and what, what, well again i mean, think the the boogaloo thing with the aloha shirt calls back to what we were talking about and in, in the prior part where it's like saying that layering shirts is like steve bannon mm-hmm. or something maybe it feels that way if you've never if you're not used to seeing aloha <laughs> shirts but to me wearing aloha shirts is like very normal or i think probably to people who live in the pacific islands of course which is people who i saw really pushing against this so the idea that now some guys with guns like own that image is completely absurd Um, yeah after like three weeks of people knowing about them right like it's just like okay right (laughs) but people have this weird knee-jerk thing where they're like again because their perspective they don't have a strong association with that so they're like oh now um this is imprinted so strongly on me you know like oh you're steve bannon or like you're a boogaloo guy because wearing that's like no i'm not this is this is just a look or again i'm kind of in dialogue with something much older than this thing that you're talking about mm-hmm. um and i also wanted to right. echo i think spencer your point is very well made about um this the idea that the left is not cohesive or not fashionable in general. Um, I don't want to seem like we're being too harsh or too critical. Yeah. I, I think it's of kind course, of a, yeah. a microcosm of, of the structural barriers or uh, difficulties of the left movement, such as it is in general, right? Where the right-wing um, conservative movements have institutional support. Uh, mm. They will get funding from billionaire donors. For example, something that comes to mind is like Turning Point USA, aka yeah. Toilet Paper USA. Uh, that's an organization yes. where TV. they are meant to be on college campuses and represent, you know, conservative thought on college campuses. And it's like this is the right. new generation of uh, of kids who are actually hearkening back to, uh, you know, liber- right wing libertarian values, but. It's totally astroturfed. They get funded mm-hmm. by 
people like the Kochs, and they are, are getting millions and millions of dollars. There is no institution that is putting money like that into left-wing organizations because... Unless you count George Soros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so you're kidding, but, I mean, George yeah. Soros is a... Uh, um, billionaire who funds Mm -hmm. you know democratic party and kind of socially liberal causes and then has become this kind of boogeyman for the right and also ties into these anti-semitic conspiracies because he is jewish but um yeah there are literally no um nobody who's a billionaire because the the um mission of the when we use the term the left uh we are not talking about the democratic party or Um, Of course, liberals, we are talking about socialists, communists, anarchists, people who want to um, uh, expropriate the wealth of somebody like a George Soros or Mm -hmm. like the Kochs or anyone who's a billionaire um, and redistribute it. So they are never going to have that support. And so that is true whether you are a media organization, you're somebody who's trying to do a Patreon, you know, if you're lucky like me, you can find enough of an audience, uh, subscribers that can keep you afloat, but it, we're still very much small potatoes. Um, right. Okay, so having said all that, uh, we were trying to talk about aesthetics and... I guess in the left and, and the left and stuff. Yeah, well, I think... <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Ethan. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, when I think of like the left, like you know the memes of the left, you know it's it's always very you know we want to call it the the dyed hair kind of like punk, but like not really kind of like the nerdier punk kind of aesthetics to it, you know. I mean again, punks, you know, they're left wing at least in you know in the past and whatever. Um, but then when you compare that to you know to say the right, you know, it's, they're always trying to portray themselves as like something that's kind of got this. Well, like you said, it's establishment stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And you you look presentable. They love authority, so of course, wearing a suit is kind of like a symbol of that. And yeah, I mean, it's like there there are many many like right wing uh, groups that have kind of like uniform, like the Proud Boys mm-hmm. with their like Fred Fred Perry, not Fred Perry, is it Fred Perry? Yes, I think yeah, so. Fred I think per- yeah, is, yes. Fred Perry polos and khakis and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, there's not there's nothing that there, there's no like cohesive look. Uh, yeah on the left yeah and i was also gonna think too of like you know i mean the left technically you know or at least to me it's, it's very inclusive right you got a bunch mm-hmm. of people from a variety of different backgrounds where you know it's kind of it's 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 nice to see that there isn't something like that because it, it shows that we you know anyone no i mean i'm not stuff, i'm not saying know. that i think that everyone should have like like a no of course not or yeah like, yeah you know. <laughs> yeah but i'm just saying like you know it's just, it's just interesting to think about you mm-hmm. know how Technically, to some and of that's what this podcast be... is. It's just a list of things that are interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, you do come up against some interesting tensions, right? Between right. the idea of creating a cohesive movement, which I think uh, cohesion and discipline are mm. good things. Which. Uh, right. Again, it's almost kind of silly to talk about the left as though it's some kind of like it's a thing because I yeah. think at this point in history, especially, it's very much. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be so negative and pessimistic, I mean, but like, yeah, in the United States, like the what we talk about is the left is not really like a left movement. Yeah, there hardly is one, right? I mean, uh-huh. the DSA is the largest socialist organization in the country and has seventy thousand members, but it's very um heterogeneous even among the dsa it's not i mean it won some power in recent elections in terms of getting members into 
various offices, but still, we don't have uh, a left party in this country mm-hmm. like other countries do that have parliamentary democracies. We don't have a labor movement is the biggest thing. The labor yeah. movement in this country has just been absolutely decimated via decades of concerted effort by extremely powerful uh, and wealthy people who were able to do it via laws. And, you know, that's kind of a whole other discussion for a different podcast. But that being said, um, discipline and cohesiveness and all those things are, are good values for a movement to have. But on the other hand, uh, inclusiveness and openness mm-hmm. um, are, are also kind of left values. And those sometimes can can come into into tension in certain ways. If you're like, okay, well, everybody... Um, should dress like this or uh, should kind of be able to march together or something and then you get people who either don't want to or can't and you want to include everyone um, which the spirit of that is good so I don't know it's kind of very abstract at this point but um, obviously if you are like a kind of racist fascist organization that can just say we essentially want everybody to look like this and you just exclude mm-hmm. everyone who doesn't, you can be super uh, cohesive in your appearance and behavior. Um, but yeah, um, I do think that those kind of things obviously help an organization in some ways achieve effectiveness if you can create a kind of group identity and yeah. you you create some... Um, some some cohesion within an organization well because i mean it's like you could look at the you could look at the current protest movement which by not by all means is not uh over Mm -hmm. or or anything like that you know um but you 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 look at like i don't know i just i kind of wish that there was uh, a larger organization that all this energy can go into i wish there oh, and absolutely and i mean that's you know we we, we talk the, the with something like this where it is like a it's a mass movement of people in the streets i personally think not maybe a uniform but if there was some kind of aesthetic i think it would help it, it helps build a group identity it helps build solidarity mm-hmm. uh amongst people who may be um don't don't have i mean haven't really thought about it before yeah or you know a calling card a slogan mm-hmm. a symbol i mean i'll tell you what it's really been cool to see the eye emoji catch on so yeah. that became we that's from trunan uh, i mean brace kind of started that a little while ago um and we we talked about this on one of our episodes people are like what does the eye mean but the short version is it's just something that people start posting on Twitter and reply and it's just kind of like we see you we're looking at you you're you're you're, the, you're <laughs> under the spotlight of the eye yeah. but people have been sending us photos and look who knows if it's a coincidence if these people are listening to our podcast or what but of like graffiti in different from like Minneapolis or St. Louis of people graffitiing the eye in different mm-hmm. places and it's like that would be wild uh, if if it were really a, a reference, I mean, it's a powerful like just like this big unblinking eye yeah. staring at you. I mean, it's a pretty good symbol. And look, whether it becomes that or if if it's the solidarity fist. Um, mm. But I think uh, Spencer, you're dead on when you have a mass movement, but it lacks 
clear goals, demands, or leaders, yeah. it is very open to co-optation, um, mm-hmm. which we've certainly seen happening <laughs> yes. in the recent protests. And yeah, that is absolutely uh, a threat and a weakness and something to be aware of. I mean, because we could talk about like, like co-op, like, you know, the something that we, we have in the show notes here, like one of the most... Uh, Iconic kind of if if you want to talk about like iconic uh, looks in like American polit like politics, uh, like the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. uh, they're they I mean they had you know they had the beret they had the the, the leather jackets the turtlenecks, it was it was like a, a look that was like easy to put together, you know you didn't have you didn't have to have all the same pieces, uh, but it was definitely something that was very enduring and something that you know you read a lot. Uh, really helped with their movement. And a couple weeks ago, you saw at some of these protests a group that calls themselves the New Black Panther Party that, you know, dresses in the same way. They open carry in the same way that the original Black Panther Party uh, did. But they're, like, out there, like, taking selfies with, like, the police. And, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's they're, they're using this iconic image uh, to portray themselves as something that they're not. And so what did you... I'm curious what you guys saw... Um, how you saw people responding to that when it came across your your feed or whatever? Like, what did you see? I as mean, the, the, fir- the like the first stuff I saw was like you know that picture of like them marching with the guns, and uh-huh. I saw the, initially I saw a bunch of people like, damn, this is cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then pretty right. shortly after, I don't know, I didn't see much of it on Instagram, but on Twitter, uh, that's where I saw most of the photos. And pretty shortly, people were like, okay, something is up with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 you no, know, it's just like same, same thing with Spencer. Just like it's a little iffy to me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, well, it sounds like you know you're following some savvy people, which is good, and obviously you know I am too. But I agree. I initially saw people fawning over these photos and 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 re- reposting them, um, being like, "Oh, this is so so great. This is exactly mm-hmm. what we need right now. Um, thank you." And I think there's a lot that could be said about this. Um, I think the positive thing we can take away from this is it, it speaks to the power of aesthetics and mm-hmm. and right. imagery and looking cool, and we should not underestimate that. Um, no, and I mean, yeah, I think I think that's wait. It's a good way to put it. Not that everyone has to have uh, a uniform, but everyone should try to look cool. Because you know what? That's how you get people on your side. You look cool. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think it's like what I was saying earlier. I think we dismiss that at our own peril um, because we are trying to communicate. Um, When we are doing a march, when we are doing an action, we have a message, right? We're not out Mm -hmm. there just, um, you know, I had, it's funny. This reminds me of kind of an argument I had with, somebody I was dating a long time ago who said something like I I had done a thing where I was like doing a direct action at an ice facility and doing like um, a human chain where we blocked off the building and it was it was a good thing but it was like people risking arrest and she said to me something like well that's your hobby and I have my (laughs) hobby and it really what it became kind of a conflict because it was like well this isn't my hobby you know I'm not I don't go and march because I enjoy marching um, mm-hmm. it's because 
you know, we care about these things and we're trying to right. make a change in the society and we're trying to convince people and change people's minds. So we have to remember that, right? That we're trying to reach people um, and this is a form of communication. So if we can do that, if we can reach people more effectively by um, having a certain look that that reaches out uh, better than that is certainly worth considering. And I think that's, yeah, important to remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that subject of, like, looking cool, um, because you're kind of, you know, becoming this, as you mass followers, kind of, you know, a figure in the left cohort and everything, do you, is it subconscious to you that you think that maybe, like, okay, it's kind of like a novelty of being a left guy wearing, like, a tie mm. and kind of, like, you know, even though we, we talked about briefly, like, you know, we don't believe that necessarily, like, the, uh, the trad looks are inherent of the right but do you think that's that plays a little bit part into how you approach your style like you know i'm doing this and i'm i'm have these left-wing politics and it's cool to be a little bit of a novelty in a sense well it's certainly it's similar to how i feel um being or there's echoes of how i feel being in in tech or in san francisco right it's very easy to stand out in that environment just by um you know, the baseline being what it is, if you put on a tie, mm-hmm. immediately you stand out, right? I mean, if I went to right. the world of uh, finance in New York, I would also stand out, but for being casual, um, you know, mm. for having like a, a loud right. sport coat and not... Patch pockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then they would be like, look at this guy with his patch pockets. But here, uh, whether it's if I go to a DSA meeting or if I walk into a tech office, they're like, oh, who's this fancy... Uh, lad with his with his tassel loafers <laughs> Fancy lad. with big swinging tassels over here um, so certainly it's a way to get attention um, and whether yeah and I guess I'm aware of that um, and I try right. to use that uh, you know take advantage of that in a good way I, I certainly am not trying to take up more space than I deserve or something which can Mm -hmm. get uh you know maybe somebody uh, would upset people or something i don't know i mean i'm just dressing uh how i like to dress but how yeah exactly but i'm certainly aware of the fact that it is going to stand out a little more because of the kind of standard set by my my cohort and my environment and if if that Mm. makes me heard more than i would otherwise be then great i'll hopefully say something that um needs to be heard by whoever's going to listen yeah i think you know personally for me um i feel like it's kind of like the opposite where it's um in terms of experience where you know I don't think I stand out much in like the menswear space. You know, again, like we talk about how I'm, I'm basically co-opting Ethan hmm. Newton or or uh, or Drake's, but I think it's important that I share some of my political beliefs because I. And we talked about the lifestyle episode maybe very briefly, but you don't see that from other menswear guys. You know, it's always you know, you know, some people like to keep it private. That's on them. But you know, I didn't feel comfortable like you know maybe on like on on June in for, for like you know the the. Um, a blackout Tuesday. Some people, like, you know, didn't post anything or whatever, but I felt it was important to kind of talk about why this movement mattered to me and and why, like, you know, even I was looking, you know, back in um on my Facebook feed, you know, I was talking about the uh, like uh, Ferguson and all, all that stuff, you know, Trayvon Martin and everything, and not to be like, look at me, look what I've done, but it's like it's important to use the the platform that you have, and hopefully, it, well, it is my hope that 
and kind of helps other menswear guys kind of come to that realization like you know if they are left mm-hmm. uh, because again like we said earlier lots of guys in our in our group at least you know they're, they're starting to get radicalized a little bit you know they're starting to break out and, and think about things in a new way and, that, and that's cool and you know maybe we wouldn't have talked unless they had read the blog before or right. something like that and i well and, i think um, i think maybe this isn't uh, super pertinent to the discussion but i think the reason a lot of menswear yeah. guys don't really share um <laughs> politics uh especially some of the more established guys i mean so uh like think about like craft at home or whatever like you know, the series where uh, hotel mogul Robert Kraft takes you through his like many mansions mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, oh, that guy! <laughs> yeah. So I, there are a lot of menswear guys who are very well off, and I think their politics and lifestyle for some menswear guys might like horrify us if we learned them. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I think it's interesting to talk about some of this stuff in the context of the you know quote unquote menswear community because mm-hmm. yeah when you put it in that context some of these things that to me uh seem kind of tepid almost or kind of milk toast uh yeah. will get these very right. a lot yeah. of pushback because i do think overall this community tends towards um being white and mm-hmm. wealthy and therefore um logically kind of reactionary um and yeah yeah, i mean it all kind of makes sense and is unsurprising when you think about it well and especially because we're saying menswear but i think we all tend to have an interest in sort of vintage kind of stuff and so you know the connections yeah yeah, the connections there are look it you have to have a disposable income to get into this stuff and the higher up you go towards bespoke you have to have a lot of disposable income and um you know wealthy people have wealthy people's politics, which means mm-hmm. they're not going to be left. Or maybe they think, you know, there are wealthy Democrats, but again, Democrats are not the left. Those are people who want to, um, you know, maybe contribute to social causes and do like philanthropy. But again, this is kind of another topic, but philanthropy is kind of a scam, like a tax scam. Uh, but they want to maintain their wealth. That's the bottom line. These people yeah. um, are at the top of the hierarchy socially and they want to stay right. there. Uh, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Is, is kind of very coldly rational, right? Like, they do not want to upset, uh, change the uh, structure of society because they might not be at the top anymore. Uh, and then mm-hmm. again, of course, when it's mostly a lot of white people, uh, of course, they're, you know, I'm white. Um, <laughs> but of course, there are white people who are not racist or involved in, like, anti-racist work, but... Um, you know, they have not experienced racism directly, anti-black racism. Um, so when we're talking about like Black Lives Matter stuff, a lot of uh, rich white people aren't getting it. And then um, when we're talking about vintage stuff, I think for all of us, oh, yeah, man. it's like, well, we're into the aesthetics and it's pretty much ends there. But there is definitely a cohort of people who for them, it's about this kind of false, like fictionalized nostalgia where they bring quote-unquote vintage values into it and they think like oh well in Mm -hmm. the 50s like they hearken back for the social order of decades past not just the clothing they because they literally again think of themselves especially people who now maybe are not at the top of the social hierarchy and feel um put upon you know they feel uh downtrodden because of that but they think back decades ago before 
the civil rights movement or before feminism mm-hmm. or whatever, well, that's when they would have been in their rightful place at the top, you know? So I think that's the kind of barely veiled sentiment there. It's like, well, before society yeah. got out of hand because uh, we, we gave too much uh, equality to h- homosexuals and blacks and women, that's when I, uh, you know, I'm putting words in the mouth of someone else here to be explicitly clear. Uh, that's when I would have had my rightful place uh, at the top of, of the household and, and society is sort of, uh, I think, the the sentiment of some of these people mm-hmm. who have this real, like, you know, vintage clothes, vintage values, vintage mindset kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, none of it's it's that surprising. And so we see that. And then, you know, you just say like, hey, Black Lives Matter and people get extremely flustered by it when, you know, and they want to like, oh, it's like debate me. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's kind of one reason why Spencer and I have stopped uh, associating uh, largely with the vintage community mm-hmm. in Southern California. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but, you know, like the, the, the New York scene seems to be very, like, liberated. There's a lot of, like, you know, queer mm. culture into the vintage community over there, like, you know, burlesque, which is really great. But in California, maybe it's because, you know, it's a blue state, so, like, the, the real punk rock is to be conservative oh, kind of yeah. thing. Because, I mean, know, well, be, I think the, the, reason is, the reason is that, I mean, I don't know if this for sure but there's probably roots in like you know in queer culture to like the vintage scene in new york where in california it mostly comes from the swing revival of the 90s mm. so people yeah. who got really big into like fucking cherry pop and daddies <laughs> in the 90s and then like never gave up on it like that's that's what right. the scene in california is yeah built but you know yeah like you know like you say um these people want to go back to the the old the old order i mean uh, it's very prominent in the whole vintage oh, circles, yeah, yeah, you know, whether yeah. it's uh, thinly veiled or overtly yeah. veiled, you know. Um, but there's also like, you know, it comes with with new people getting into menswear because it it's kind of a similar mindset where, well, back then they wore suits mm-hmm. and you know that was when life was good. So if I wear a suit, I'm kind of like, you know, getting into that. And I I'm, I'm remembering this. Um, you know, we, we, we'd watched it on stream, but it was a Gentleman's Gazette video about his favorite movies from the 1970s to the to the 2000s or whatever. Decent video, good good picks, you know, whatever. But the comment section was pretty bad. And they really hated a lot of, like, the 70s films. And they said that, like, American culture uh, died in 1964, which is when the Civil Rights Act oh, was passed. Oh, God, man. And it's, like, and it's literally, like, a guy literally put, like, R.I.P. America, 1776 to 1964. Oh, and, like, that is just, it's insane to... You know that, that that people are like that, but I guess I can see it if you're into this whole idea of like you know dressing up, it comes from this this kind of I get you want know, to call it like infantilized kind of thing of like well I'm going to be better than other people like they, they, it's about putting other people down yeah. instead of like a, a, an expression of personal style, and that's you know again if that's like you know your case there then of course your politics will will align with putting right. others down like capitalism at, at the right? same time though I think if we were to try to understand where that comes from. I would speculate that the kinds of people who feel that way are people who, again, in the present day are not well off, right? They are not Mm -hmm. people who are being treated kindly by society, you know, however you want to put it. I mean, I don't know. My mind is going to like Joker, but like (laughs) when you have somebody who... Uh, people want to find something to blame, right? And that is natural. And there are, you know, correct 
things to blame. Um, f- the system of production called capitalism uh, mm-hmm. creates misery. It creates uh, an underclass of, you know, we have to have haves and have nots. And if you're a have not, things are bad. You can be homeless. You can go without health care. You can be, uh, you know, poor and miserable. But when somebody comes along uh, and says, actually, this is because of feminists and minorities who are taking your jobs, that and you no, know, this is probably not um, uh, very uh, surprising to a lot of people, but I don't know, maybe some of your listeners haven't thought of it this way before. Um, yeah, so I think some of these people who, who are really drawn to this, uh, or probably most of them, are, are not people who are uh, really benefiting from the current yeah. social order and are looking for um, a, a place to blame, a way to place the blame that, that makes sense to them. So we can... Of, of course, one way to think about solving that, of course, is if, if we provided uh, for everyone, that kind of takes the wind out of the sails um, of people like that. And it also um, makes uh, takes away some of their power, too, by lifting up um, the, the, uh, yeah, the other people who are uh, oppressed. Mm-hmm. Like, if, um, uh, if, I, if I am, um, you know, a, a historically oppressed minority... Um, and there are systems of society that are keeping me down, um, preventing me from getting housing or loans or whatever, and I eliminate those structural impediments, all of a sudden some asshole who doesn't like me, well, I can't pass a law to make him like me, but if I pass laws that make it so that now my barriers to housing and healthcare and education are gone, it, his, this, this other guy's, um, personal animus is a lot less powerful. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of a uh, an argument for social democracy, if not socialism, communism. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's another way to kind of think about it and contextualize it. Oh, yeah. Like, there's, there's so much anger and resentment from, like, you know, again, going back to, like, the Proud Boys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, things aren't, like, things aren't going well for anybody right now. Yeah, and um, if you if you grow up in a society where, you know, you're supposed to live, uh, you're supposed to live a better life than your parents or whatever, right. you're supposed to inherit the world and all of this, you you don't. Uh, people get very. I mean, pe- yeah, people get angry, and it's you have to reach them before bad people do. Yeah, 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 and that is exa- exactly why I try try and. Uh, and share stuff just because I know, like, I, I, mean, I was literally there. I'm sure I had some conservative views when I was, like, you know, in high school or something like that. You know, like, when I'm wearing a suit, like, well, I'm better than all those other people out there, you know, and I, I got to Yeah, I don't think, this I, whole I thing. think... Even though I, even though I was, I'm a, I'm a Filipino, I would never have the same kind of power as <laughs> the white people that I was trying to dress like yeah. or something. Well, know? on that note... Yeah, I don't think I got any more reactionary than just thinking the clothes used to be better. Yeah. As, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I ever was like, oh, man, if only if only if it was really back then yeah but Ethan, you know just briefly i do think um what you just said kind of made me think of this that there is something too about uh and and i guess for me it's it's not that significant because anybody who sees me you know i just i'm white but like there's an element for some of us of um reclamation i think of 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 this kind of style right where so i'm jewish and 
you know, my grandfather wouldn't have been allowed into the country club where the like wasps would have dressed the way that now I think it's cool to dress. Right. So a little bit, I mean, obviously, again, for somebody who is a visible minority who is Filipino or black or something, I think that is a much stronger type of um you know, reclamation, but I do, I, I do right. think it's kind of fun to think of it that way. Um, because yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, my great grandparents, uh, immigrated here, but, um, you know, definitely I know that my dad, I mean, I'm lucky. I grew up in a town, um, of, with a lot of Jews. So I never really faced anti-Semitism and without getting into a whole, uh, spiel about uh, what it's like to be a Jew in America. I mean, I've always mm-hmm. been super privileged and never really faced that. I mean, some people do, but not really. I mean, Jews are pretty well off in general uh, these days in America, like white Jews. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a thing. When my dad was a kid, uh, he had people that were like anti-Semitic. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a fun thing for me to think about. And I have heard that similar sentiment from other people who are um, racial minorities in the menswear world that it is kind of a Mm. reclaiming that kind of thing as well as the fact that you know as we've talked about before um these styles were never wholly owned by white christian conservatives you can also go back and find plenty of photos um of non-white people looking extremely cool in mid-20th mm-hmm. century um which are great inspirations so again this is like we don't have to allow people who are our ideological uh enemies to own these things um that we can we have just as much right to uh as they do yeah yeah I mean, I think that's also, again, one reason why I stay in the vintage community is as far as I could, you know, just because uh, other than just being kind of lonely, there's not a lot of <laughs> young people in it anyway. But, you know, there is a kind of thing of, you know, you make you make a friend and, and whatever and you're trying, you know, showing them, hey, you can have these politics and, and dress like, you know, dress like it was the 30s or whatever. Yeah. And the subject of like, you know, POCs and 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 looking sharp i mean i you know we shared a picture uh, on on the instagram of tyrus wong who was a disney animator looking super cool wearing a sport a spear point collar runaway collar over like a sport coat mm. and then there's also like the macintosh suit which again i'm not entirely sure because this comes from like an anecdote from another menswear enthusiast who was kind of like a self-proclaimed historian but he you know uh back in, in the 30s la the, the macintosh clothiers uh, Phil- there's a lot of Filipinos in LA and in the 30s they had like a special model of suit that Macintosh made for them that to me it looks like a regular 30s suit maybe it was just like a localized thing that they did but it's like it was you know very 30s like pagoda-ish shoulders but short in the jacket because you know swing dancing and and just like that kind of silhouette and then long kind of wide leg but flared trouser and it's like there's a couple of um, pictures that I'm going to put in the show notes of, of Filipinos wearing that type, that type of suit and it's kind of cool like for me it's like wow like you know I'm sure at some point when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I'm trying to dress, quote, white in a sense, right? But then, no, it's like I'm trying to dress just like as a Filipino would back in those days. Might might be, you know, just because suits were a big thing. And we talked about on the stream about if our suits a symbol of, like, Western superiority. Mm. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about that the last time or, or the previous <laughs> recording of this. But, you know, I think it's, it, you know, it's 
it's like reclaiming it and it's just an expression of personal style because yeah. like no one has to dress like this we live in an age now where you can pick your aesthetics um and they can be independent of your politics or, or what you view as as right in the world because there are good people who wear suits and there are bad people who wear yeah. suits you know yeah that's that's um, very true like that's one of the defining features of the modern well you know quote unquote postmodern era that we're living in right that there is right. no more monoculture um, everything is accessible all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so that kind of applies to music. It applies to art. It applies to style. I, like I've had people sometimes make comments to me, which I get what they're saying, but I also find it kind of weird. They're like, oh, you're dressing like that in San Francisco or something. And I'm like, yeah, because I can. Well, you, you know, because I can go on the Internet and see... I don't know, because they're like, oh, well, you're dressed up like you're in Italy or like you're something. And it's like, yeah, yeah well, that's the cool thing is that I can do that. And um, but and listen, so can you. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's very normal. And again, that is one of the features of the the present moment is that we, we can combine everything at once. I can kind of combine. And personally, I mean, my approach to it is I, I don't, I certainly don't try to, um, dress head to toe imagining that like I am in the 1960s or I am in Italy right now but I do like to incorporate yeah. those things and I think you guys do similar right. um, because I, I like to imagine it's like a little you know like you're a jazz guy you do a little lick quoting from another another tune yeah. it's yeah, it's, exactly it's an illusion it, yeah. it's a reference it's it's a being in a dialogue and I think it's yeah, a re- reference, reference is a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's it's such a cool feature of this moment in time that you can be constantly all at the same time referencing everything at once or multiple different things from different periods and we we're not stuck in one time and place and that's fun and it's liberating. And I think to kind of push back against that, I mean the far end of that and again I've gotten these comments too are like, "Oh, I mean, the the most classic is like, what are you wearing boat shoes for? Are you going on a boat? And then, of course, you can kind of take that to the extreme. It's like, well, what are you wearing? Uh, You're wearing chinos? Like, are you in the military? You know, like, (laughs) oh, you're wearing jeans? Like, are you uh, you riveting? Or like, I think, (laughs) of course, all of these things have been decontextualized from their original um, uses. I mean, most clothing is not fully it's not purpose is not just functional. It might have some function, but a lot of these things originally were very functional and now are Mm -hmm. fashionable as well as partly functional. I think it's weird to take this purely instrumental, purely functional point of view towards clothes when you can take this much more uh, freeing kind of liberating view where anything goes. Um, So yeah. Great song. Yeah, Cole Porter. <laughs> Indiana Jones Temple. Yes, of that Doom. too. Uh, yeah. I, um, well, what were you going to say? What were you going to say, Ethan? Uh, well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I get a, I get a couple of people who, uh, who, who come in the DMs like that, you know, just like Young Chomsky said, or YC, as we call him. <laughs> uh, I think that might be the first time we said it this whole stream. <laughs> uh, stream? What? Ugh, on Twitch? Uh, this is a podcast. <laughs> um, but, you know, okay. yeah, I think, you know, occasionally I do get a couple of, like, you know, people in there who, who wonder about those kind of things, about, you know, the context of stuff, whether it's the political, you know, whether they do say, hey, that's kind of like a preppy thing that preppy people, wasp people are racist. And, and right wing is it okay if I wear it to just you know 
you're wearing loafers, you're not you're not wearing slippers in the house kind mm, of thing, you mm. know? So I think it's really cool to kind of blend all of those together. And I think that all of us here, you know, whether it's in the group um, or, you know, just on our own, kind of further that narrative that it's okay to kind of take it out of those 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 original contexts and, and make it free and, and postmodern or punk rock. Yeah. As and, and this is a bit of a tangent too, but this brings a thought to mind that sure. I wanted to talk about last time we didn't get to. But I, st- I think mm. about sometimes... Yeah. Round two, baby. So it's the idea that your style and your clothing s- says something about you, which I think is... Right true i don't disagree with it but i think there's a lot of nuance to that idea right because Uh um i don't know i think there's an there's some extremes of that like on the one the one extreme of that concept would be i guess going back to my uh hypothetical of like i'm a facebook engineer and i work at facebook and i'm wearing a t-shirt that says facebook on it so that is a Mm -hmm. really explicit form of my clothing saying something about me like my shirt is literally telling you with words and logos i work at facebook you know um and then we can yeah. start to imagine kind of different degrees of de- recontextualization decontextualization and separation from that like imagine if i were wearing that shirt and i didn't work at facebook and somehow that were really obvious like i had a whole like uh like a sport coat and a whole menswear fit with the the, the Facebook. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds like it would look goofy, but maybe there's a cool way to do that. Or, you know, the person who gets the the T-shirt from a thrift store that says like I survived, you know, uh, uh, Jason's bar mitzvah or something, and you're wearing that. <laughs> you know, we all know the the ironic um, thrifted uh, graphic tee. Right. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. your shirt is literally saying something, but it's kind of obvious that it's not literal. Or then you get fully abstracted right. where it's it's just patterns and silhouettes and then what does your clothing say well it might be saying um the the one person who takes it again very narrowly and says oh steve bannon you're trying to look like steve bannon (laughs) or again more broadly well you're trying to you're referring to this kind of 80s preppy style which means Mm -hmm. what what does it mean well if i know that you are not actually the kind of person who would have been a preppy that kind of adds a layer to it or maybe overall Maybe it just means, you know, overall, I think what I kind of got to in my own internal debate is what I want to be saying about myself with my clothes is that I am someone who cares about my presentation and that I put Mm -hmm. thought into the silhouette and the colors and the patterns and the shapes. uh, And that is bottom line what I want to communicate. And I do not want to be the person who is like trying to give you this very direct, you know, you should not be looking at me and thinking this guy's trying to dress like this person or trying to do this but if you if it's making you think oh that kind of reminds me of this but it's also a little bit like this or what does that mean because you know he's playing off of multiple different things i think that's where it gets fun and interesting but there are pitfalls where we can get too literal about it and i think that's where uh your clothes saying something can can get um I don't know, in, in my view, can kind of go astray. But yeah, I'm curious what, what you guys think about that idea of, of your clothes kind of uh, saying something. I mean, like, uh, I guess I, I know if Spencer was going to say something, <laughs> I just took it from him. Uh, but, you know, uh, no, I, 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 I very much agree with you because I, if you guys follow my Instagram, I like to show a lot of my interests, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's my uh, very big uh, 
critical look at mm. film scores um, to, you know, to, you know, Star Wars and whatever. And it, it, I, it's very important for me to present myself as a very multifaceted person that kind of doesn't fall into any, like, general, like, you know, nerd category or, or a menswear category. And it is my hope that people look at it and be like, you know, oh, okay, you, you can be multifaceted. You can, your life can be different than what people expect it to be. And it's cool to have a bunch of different interests and have them overlap. Exactly. Um, in, in my Twitch stream, I always liken it to, like, I've always had this kind of referential personality where, you know, whether it's in film scores, I like in the stuff that I write for my friends, I reference a lot of, like, my favorite pieces. It's one reason why I love Star Wars or, like, James Bond, where they reference each other. And why menswear seemed like a very, you know, a fitting hobby for me where I'm able to, you know, eventually now as I've come into like my own style, take everything I love from like the thirties, you know, whether it's a spear point collar or the foulard ties that are unlined to like the Ivy sack jackets to the wide leg, you know, uh, dungaree jeans, right? It's all about doing all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it is a postmodern kind of approach to your, you know, your personality, what, what, what you're trying to say about yourself. And, if I'm a postmodern Marxist, which we all know doesn't really exist, um, but you know that, then then so be it, right? Like that's kind of like that's that's my point, like you know pushing that that like uh, subversive narrative, like yeah. you can do it, and you I think that's super it. important to me. I I really yeah, I think it's I think something that is very cool about menswear is, um, as Ethan said, you there is just so much that you can like pull from historically. Yep. Um, and I mean, it's like, it, it, it's, you know, there's that meme of the two people looking at the lists or whatever, uh, and one person, like, you know, I think it started out with just like colors. So one person sees just like red, you know, blue, yellow or whatever. But then it's like, no, this is like maroon. This is burgundy. Mm. Like, this is yeah. like sunflower or whatever. It's like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, we, we look at things as like, oh, this is like, you know, this is Italian style. This is like American, like Ivy. This is whatever. Right. But then other people look at it and just say, see like suit yes. or whatever. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I think, I think you're, I, I, yeah, I like, I like the approach that you have to it. Um, I don't know how much I've personally thought about it before now, but yeah, in general, that's that's how I I think I look yeah. at it. And to tie it back uh, into thinking about aesthetics on the left, right? I think mm-hmm. if we are right. thinking of you know why might we find the you know super generalized uh, style of left fashion to be kind of lacking well one of the things behind that Mm. right is that leftism um you know whether we're talking about socialism communism social democracy anybody who's part of the labor movement these kind of things these Mm. are this is like a subcultural um or at this point in time and this is this is not a compliment right it's become a subcultural movement in the united states which is bad because it that's a weak mm-hmm. position uh, as a result of the dismantling of the labor movement and the lack of institutional power so um we don't want if we want to win we don't want to be a subculture but unfortunately the left has kind of retreated into subculture and part of subculture is having signifiers that show to other people that you're part of that subculture and that's yeah. when you can kind of get into this stuff where again you're being very explicit in your appearance to say like 
let people know that you you're communicating very directly right with your i am dressing in all black and i'm wearing buttons and patches that with a mm. circle a on it or again this is really cliche right but if i put if i cover myself in buttons that show my organizations you can look at me and know exactly where i stand on things and that's obviously desirable right, right. if i am someone who's part of something that's pretty niche and i want to communicate that because i want to meet other people and i have walked around wearing buttons for dsa and it has had led to good conversations where people are like oh tell tell me about that okay. and then i've told them about it and brought them into meetings and they've become a member so that's that's good but you know you can take that to the point where you again, you're covering yourself head to toe in it and it's like your whole outfit. Um, so I think if we're talking about fashion, I of course like to keep it subtle. I think um, somebody, if anybody's looking at my my fits, you'll often notice when I wear a sport coat, I have a DSA pin that I will wear as my lapel pin. It's the DSA logo. Um, I feel like that is, I don't know if that's like led to any great conversations, but you know, that's my way of nodding to it and being subtle i mean i also have full-on bread and roses tattoos on my forearms um but mm-hmm. those are often covered uh but yeah th- that idea of subcultural signifiers and trying to uh communicate and signal with your clothing very explicitly that you are yeah. you're part of of that kind of a thing um i see that as i understand where it comes from but i think it is not um, you kind of wall yourself off from uh, a position of strength that way. And where I would tend to want to see us go, uh, and for all the baggage that this has, is we want to show that, look, this these ideas are actually very, quote-unquote, normy. You know, you can look and dress, and not that people who are... Um, weird or outsiders are unwelcome but this stuff is for everyone is the point um Mm -hmm. this is for your uh this is for black people white people uh, people of all races people of all levels of ability um this is this is inclusive but inclusive means um it includes uh i mean we got to be realistic sometimes i guess about demographics meaning that like most you know most people uh are um you know like what 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 is the majority of 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 people in this country uh what are they like what are they interested in what do they know about mm-hmm. and when we start getting really kind of academic and obscure in our language and our signifiers um it goes over people's heads so yeah, yeah right. we got to be like you can just be a regular uh, dude wearing workwear or wearing a suit or whatever and also be a communist. Well, because, I mean, yeah, oh, people people yeah. like talking about, like, left-wing academics or whatever, but it's like every, every left movement that has actually succeeded in history was built on, like, mm-hmm. farmers or workers, whatever. Um yeah, you need to you need to be be able to appeal to just the average yes. person. Yeah, and it's easy to yeah. get yourself into I don't know to kind of step in it when you're talking about like the average person because again we we want to include everybody, but um, mm-hmm. and like the average person quote unquote is not something that exists. But um, yeah. so it, it's tough to be both broad 
and inclusive, I guess, is, is kind of what I've been trying to get at a couple times. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just it, the, the road is, is hard. <laughs> that is, that okay. is a challenge. Yeah. So, Speaking of the, the road <laughs> is hard, um, uh, something that we, maybe we can touch on before we're, we're close to finish off is the idea that, you know, there's no ethical consumption under mm, capitalism. Yeah, I was, I was going to say we've been talking about everything from the uh, consumer yes. side. Um, but, I mean, if we, if we are, if we do posture as, like, you know, as uh, uh, left-leaning, like, whatever, whatever. Uh, you gotta Great talk. Term. You gotta talk Great about term. labor. I'm sorry, guys. I yes, got like I got like fucking like three hours of sleep last oh, night. It's it's another it's another one of those uh, it's another one of those shorts episodes for me. <laughs> Which you don't know if it's this is coming before or yeah. after. It is up to you because we did record a bo- uh, an episode just in case this one didn't come out in time. So fun little reference for you. So if you heard but an you episode know, yeah. about shorts. Then you already know it. If you if you haven't heard it, guess what? You got a surprise coming. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, how how do you reconcile? You know, you know, being being on the left and you know and and consuming and everything, being cognizant over over well because you know, I mean issues it's, it's, in supply it's, chain and labor. Spe- and like if we want to, yeah, if we want to talk about the fashion industry, it is a massively exploitative you have to, yeah business. Right. you have to do yeah um, it has like its carbon footprint is just like enormous. Uh, it like I, yeah, I, what size is that? Thirteen. Thirteen. Um, no, but as, as as I brought up in the first first time we recorded uh, that day, that I had just seen like some infographic or whatever on Instagram. I didn't verify the the truth to it, but some infographic that said that the fashion industry's carbon footprint is larger than the airline mm-hmm. industry. Uh, which That's is, crazy. That, yeah, that really puts it into perspective. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah well, I'm glad uh, we're talking about this. So first of all. I don't think there are easy answers here. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that it it is when we are talking about... uh, I think this is a a good thing for us to focus on as um, people who are interested in menswear and who care about the world and society. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that I sometimes see well-meaning people... Um, in this kind of community get a little bit bogged down in um, these kind of more superficial questions uh, that are more to do with kind of branding and PR. Mm -hmm. And I find that stuff to be a distraction. Um, And, you know, maybe I'll come back and talk about that a little bit more, but the, 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 these are material issues, right? Meaning they affect people's lives, livelihoods. um, They have real impact. So we're talking about, uh, like Spencer said, the environmental impact of of the fashion industry. We're talking about the um, labor conditions of the people mm-hmm. that are making the things that we want to buy. Um, yeah, and you know, like the distribution of of wealth uh, in society and how that is kind of uh, playing out through the people who own these businesses and the people who work for them and whether they are able to organize and bargain. So unfortunately, it's it's really hard. Um, I think the, the frustrating right. and uh, true and unsatisfying answer is that we can't consciously consume our way to a better world. Um, mm. Now, I don't want to say that as an abdication of all responsibility, which to get back to the, the kind of 
slogan that Spencer quoted, which is that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Um, you know, that's something that people often say, and I think it can sometimes be used in this kind of nihilistic way, which is to say that, well, all everything that's made under capitalism is unethical. Therefore, it doesn't matter what choices I make. I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are worse than others, and we should try to make the choices that are less bad. That being said, I think it is valuable to remember where what the real goals are which for me is the um dismantling of this system of capitalism because as this uh slogan is intended to highlight it is inherently exploitative um and we can Mm -hmm. never just kind of buy from the right brands and therefore create an egalitarian society and so there's a lot of things that make me think about this one um i mean i've seen a bunch just pop up in the news even since the last time we recorded um one that i was kind of highlighting earlier today i posted it in the chat and i don't know if this seems kind of uh spicy or whatever but but bear with me for a minute um because this is this has been on my mind for for a little while but so i guess it was i mean the larger point is that again Conscious consumerism is um, not a bad thing, but it is ultimately kind of a dead end. And we have to be somewhat cynical or maybe very cynical about brands and their public relation statements. So I guess the day that we're recording this today is supposed to be there's some kind of call that's been put out. I've seen over social media. I don't really know what the... Uh, origin of this was but to not spend any money as a part of the black lives matter movement um to do like a generalized right. boycott today and so mm. like economic blackout yeah. or whatever. so yeah. um i guess I, I i'm not sure exactly what the parameters were like i bought lunch today hopefully that's okay <laughs> but yeah i haven't bought any i haven't copped any johns today so i think i'm still good but i yeah. saw vans the sneaker company yeah. put a statement it's like a hero um you know, like a big, the first thing you see when you go to their site and it says like a new pair of vans can wait. Um, and it's like support some black owned businesses instead. And then of course you can still scroll down and buy vans and buy a pair, but like, you know, this is, this is, um, vans trying to look woke. And, um, I, I saw that and I kind of, rolled my eyes and again bear with me because i think some (laughs) people see this and they're like that's good they are supporting Mm -hmm. a good cause but i think what we need to ask ourselves is like but what are they actually doing you know what how does this help anyone um for vans to do this and so of course then i'm like all right well what is vans what has this company actually done when it comes to really helping people or when their bottom line has been in question. So a few minutes of searching later, I found that when the uh, Rana factory um, plaza collapsed in Bangladesh a few years ago, in Mm -hmm. which uh, like 1,100 people were killed. um, Jesus. Yeah, in the aftermath of that, there was a proposal put forth by labor unions to uh, come up with this new safety agreement. And they tried to, their their strategy was to get H&M uh, on board and then hope that everyone else would follow after that. And there was this big public pressure campaign and H&M got on board. Um, H&M being based, I think, in, in Sweden um, or mm-hmm. they're European anyway. But then what happened is all the American companies, including the company that owns Vans, 
decided not to sign on to this agreement because it would have been legally binding. And so they proposed this alternative where they wanted it not to be legally binding and they wanted to put the responsibility on the factory, the individual factory owners. So they were like, yeah, actually we have this alternative that's really not going to put any responsibility on us. So I think that's kind of a pretty powerful contrast, right? Like they'll put a thing on their website that's like support black owned businesses. Of course, they're not going to prevent you from buying vans today. Um, but they're going to do it because, look, Black Lives Matter is broadly popular right now, especially, I would think, among the sort of people who are likely to buy vans. So that is probably going to be a PR win for them. But then when it comes to literally protecting the safety and lives of the factory workers who are making their shoes in Bangladesh, which is not a big thing in the news that people are like marching for they're like mm, yeah mm-hmm. not really if it's gonna hurt our hurt our profits um so and then again to, to just push on this a little bit more um i've seen this kind of call over the past couple of weeks and i think i'm less cynical about it when it's coming from individual people but the idea that like support minority-owned businesses um uh, they're, they're saying that and i think people's hearts are in the right place but I, I think, again, it's not like it's bad to support minority-owned businesses. Go ahead and, and do that. But I think that we, again, need to be kind of conscious of, like, what is that doing? Because it's kind of, it, it sort of says, and you might think this is really, I'm being too cynical about it, but it's like, so Black Lives Matter is happening, and you're saying, well, buy from Black-owned businesses. So it kind of is saying, well, Black people deserve redistribution of wealth only if they are business owners. You know, like most people are not business owners, right? So it's not, again, it's not bad to support those businesses. That's fine. But my goal uh, is to make society more equitable for everybody. And we do that through changing the system of production. We do that through changing laws. We do that through ultimately... Um, you know, deposing the ruling class, um, not just by diversifying the ruling class, which I would say is kind of the major difference between what we might call liberalism and then quote unquote leftism, like socialism or communism. Mm -hmm. If we just made all the billionaires in the world um, diverse, like a bunch of them women and a bunch of them black and brown, what have you, uh, some people would be like, yes, that's so good. It's diversity. But no, that's not actually solving the problem because they then still have all this power over the rest of us, the working class. And I think a lot of people probably have had the experience of having a boss who is uh, not a white man, but is also still exploitative or shitty or abusive uh, because they have power over you. And that is just the nature of that relationship. So I think, again, we have to be kind of skeptical Um, of those kind of calls and remember that the focus has got to be on changing the the nature of power and exploitation um, and not just kind of increasing the representation uh, at the top of this hierarchy but really dismantling that hierarchy oh no absolutely yeah I mean I, I guess it's my hope that you know it's it's more of like a first step thing 
in terms of being aware of, of the injustices and the inequalities instead of a, if we just do this, it'll be okay kind of thing. I mean, that's maybe I'm not as cynical <laughs> as you are just yet, you know? And in terms of like the whole being a performative woke brand thing, you know, it's, yeah, of course I roll my eyes whenever it comes from a, uh, you know, like a fast fashion or something that, you know, it's a mass market kind of thing. And, but when I see it in like in our menswear space, you know, Maybe it's rose-colored glasses because, again, I don't know the politics of everyone who works in it, even though I might be in, you know, at least uh, they're like colleagues of mine, if you want to call it that, um, even though I might not have talked to some of these people officially. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's a little bit nicer just because you, you, know, you see it. Maybe it is, you know, uh, personally induced, right? You know, seeing um, if the Armory did it. I know that Mark Cho talked about redlining and everything, so I, I had never seen it before, but it's cool to see him kind of, you know, use the opportunity at least to talk about it. Um but yeah, so I mean, yeah, this does come... this does get to an interesting point, which is like you know, how much how much better is it to buy from a brand like Drake's or or something like that, where maybe it's like, you know, you you don't most people don't know like this who the CEO of H and M or Banana Republic is, um, but if you are into menswear and you know Drake's or you know Bryceland's or the Armory, you probably know like the corporate hierarchy, mm. like. That's yeah, that's exactly. you know I think I think what Ethan is maybe getting at is it just feels different when it's coming from a brand where you either know the person who runs it or just know of them like have an idea in your head of them uh, than yeah, right. with these trying But so them. even with those brands um, I think that makes a lot of sense but what we still don't know and we kind of got into mm-hmm. this in our conversation before like so I can get a sport coat from Spear and McKay for you know some $300 now uh in many ways similar sport coat from drake's might be around a thousand dollars and so how as a consumer what do i attribute that difference in price to uh it would be i would find it very illuminating if i had some more information i mean a lot of these brands these quote-unquote heritage brands do kind of highlight in their marketing like oh yeah this is our factory and it's in this place in England. I mean, they certainly do talk about it's made in England or made in Italy. And I guess that's supposed to in some way justify the price versus um, Spear and McKay is manufactured in China. Uh, yeah. But right. yeah, I, I mean, point being, I really just don't know because I've, I've heard just kind of from people online Chinese factories vary a lot in terms of the conditions. Some of them are bad. Some of them are good. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for European factories. Some of them yeah, actually have really terrible conditions. And that, no, I mean, yeah, I don't. I want to make it clear that I wasn't. I wasn't saying that it's like, oh yeah, it's like just buy from the expensive yeah, yeah. brands and then you're absolved of all right. sin. I will say. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much. I mean, Ethan knows where their suits come from allegedly. <laughs> um. You can look on Style Forum. But I will, I, think, I mean, I will say it's like it. if you want to talk about like the, 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 the margins that Drake's are working mm-hmm. with, uh, their rugby shirts for a while were made by Columbia yeah. Knit. If you go to the Columbia Knit website, you can buy them for $70. Drake's was selling them for what, like $250? The, the like rugby shirt that I was talking about earlier is a Columbia Knit that I was wearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like even there these, even these, these big brands that like, the, well, not big brands, these quote-unquote friendlier brands friend like with the human face they are still just after the bottom yeah. line that's like that's what and they're for. yeah because they're gonna be inherently you know for that you know whether or not whether they are invested personally right. into it or they have and even i want to say i think your point is is well made that like if by posting on social media 
and talking about like, oh, support minority owned businesses or whatever. If by doing that, we can call attention to wealth inequality and educate people, I think it's valuable. But I think, you know, I just, again, want to push back a little bit on the idea that that should be the end or that I think it might sometimes divert energy. Um, Again, I'm just, I don't want to sound too skeptical, but I am skeptical of this whole notion of conscious consumerism. And um, the other thing, too, I want to kind of call out is, uh, and I know, Ethan, you have kind of worked in social media. So I don't want to suggest that Mm -hmm. I am uh, trying to say, like, this is some kind of manipulative or like conspiracy thing on behalf of brands, uh, because I get that a lot of times these initiatives of saying when a brand posts like we support Black Lives Matter or some social cause that is coming from people who work there who genuinely support those causes and have those politics. Mm -hmm. Having said that, Mm -hmm. I think we do need to remember, though, that the filters in place uh, of what gets approved. Right. So if I am some 20 something working in social media uh, for a brand and I say I want to do this post saying Black Lives Matter, that, of course, is not going to ever go out unless the owner says, OK, like they have the final approval on it. Right. And the owner is not going to say, OK, right. if they don't think that the audience, uh, the consumers, if this is going to go over well with them. Gonna, and now yeah. so you can make right. that post again, if you work for Vans, somebody at Vans came up with that. And it's not that I think that all the people at Vans don't believe in Black Lives Matter, but they think that this is going to be popular uh, and beneficial to them to post. If they didn't, they wouldn't post it. But then if somebody at Vans, um, or you know, let's talk about another brand that has a, a reputation or built the reputation on being quote unquote ethical and transparent, Everlane. Okay, similar thing. We've talked about this before. Mm. Everlane uh, was in the news not too long ago for union busting um, because their customer service representatives decided they wanted to collectively be able to bargain for better conditions. And Everlane, this uh, right. whose whole thing was about being ethical and transparent. Yeah, they were like, no, thank you. You cannot actually form a union. We are going to fire you all. So that's what happens. Um, If if it were some plucky young uh, person at Everlane saying, I think we should put up a statement supporting this broadly popular uh, movement for social justice, they'd be like, yes, absolutely. Let's post that. And it's not that it's bad or wrong or that the person didn't really believe that, but it's being filtered by the owner who is... Uh, you know, has owns capital. And then even beyond Mm -hmm. that, they're being disciplined by the market um, where it's up to, you know, they have investors, they have shareholders and they have consumers. So uh, I I think we should be wary of imputing too much. um, I mean, brands are not your friends, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to, I'm 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 just like American, like, you know, uh, the, the the way that brands try to come off as woke, it always reminds... It's like, I'm going to paraphrase like a drill tweet, mm. which is a very <laughs> popular thing to do. Um, but it, it's it's like it's like turning a big dial that says <laughs> social progress and looking back at yep. the audience for approval. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you know, what, you know, as we finish off, you know, like, what, what, what can we do? I mean, I think it's... You know, I don't want to say like, oh, see, classic menswear is the best way to do it. You know, I, I do think personally, um, you know, buying vintage uh, or right. you know, clothing is a good way to kind of go around that. You know, uh, we didn't get too much about, you know, about 
buying like milsurp or whatever this this time around but there's a whole episode on that anyway um but you know there's that there's that essence of you know not only like kind of recapturing the context and turning it to something new but also like you know you're not openly contributing to you know uh, the, you know all the labor stuff and all the supply chain stuff that that that, that at, um, at some point in the supply uh, chain go there the is going to be some awful things happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, I'm you know, I guess do you guys think it's just you know lesser of two evils kind of thing, or um, or that you know this is the best that we we should do the best that we can. I mean, as, so as much as our I, knowledge I think is. I think in general. I mean, it's like I agree with YC. It's like there's there are there it ev- is. every there there are always like every option. There's going to be some bad. You should do your best to do. You should do your best to support the least bad businesses you can. But I mean, it's it's going back to the whole thing where it's like yeah, we say it's like okay, well, it's less exploitative if you buy from a heritage brand or if you brought buy from a small artisanal brand or whatever. But like you know. The reason everyone shops at H&M is not because they make better clothes. It's because people can afford to shop at H&M. Right. And they can't afford to shop at the Armory or whatever. And that's, again, something that we would do well to remember when we're trying to, especially when we're trying to talk to people on the left. Um, I think this is a common and an understandable reaction. It's like, okay, well, you're telling me that uh it's good to dress better and to look cool and then you're talking about brands where everything's extremely expensive and it's like yeah. fuck you i'm never gonna listen to you again this is absurd um which and i mean to be clear this this would be an insane discussion to have with just like someone at a protest right. it's like hey where where'd you get those clothes have you heard of drapes yeah. um <laughs> but you you know if you I got some shit from Drake's at 60% off from Nordstrom, although 60% off Drake's is still a lot of people would think like too expensive. Uh, like if you're used to shopping at, you know, H and M. But yeah, I think buying secondhand stuff and buying vintage mm-hmm. uh, stuff is, if we're talking about the kind of like ethics of it is really the only way to, um, I mean, I guess somebody who works in, uh, garment manufacturing would kind of push back on that. They'd be like, "Well, I don't, I'm not going to have a job if nobody ever buys new clothes anymore." Um, so we can kind right. of that's kind of a wrinkle on it. But yeah, look, the only way to be um, have somewhat clean hands on that, so to speak, is to buy things that are already in circulation. And I do certainly try to do that. Um, but this brings us back to the, like the whole no ethical consumption. Like the only way to be completely guilt-free is to go live in the woods and never buy anything ever. So I don't know. It, I don't think we should throw up our hands and not think about this stuff. I think we should continue to think about it. Um, but I think the other thing is we don't solve these problems again by making all the right choices in what we buy. We solve them by getting organized, building a left movement Mm -hmm. and changing society. Um, So yeah, I think it's good to buy vintage. It's good to learn as much as you can about the the people that you're buying from. um, And sometimes understand that buying something more expensive does mean that it's better made and more durable and that can be good because you're not going to have to replace it but it doesn't always mean that um buying the more expensive thing sometimes just means it's more expensive um Mm. so that also can be really hard to know because obviously brands are not telling you like hey we're selling this at you know 600 percent of what it costs to make or like this 
cost to make the person who made this and who sewed it got paid exactly the same as the person who sewed this other thing that's one fifth the price. Um, Mm -hmm. It would be cool if we could know that stuff. Um, And always I'm interested in people who hearing from people who have a little more inside knowledge in the manufacturing process. But yeah, I think that it's, it's good to know about that stuff. Support, labor movements support workers movements in any way possible um monetarily um support them with your time and yeah buy vintage but ultimately um educate yourself and join join a local organization in your in your community i think that is the best action item if this if this stuff resonates with you um you know it's really hard to make an impact with something on the national level or on the other side of the world. Uh, and yeah, it's great to donate money and it's great to sign petitions. Although I don't know, I'm pretty cynical about the value of signing petitions to be honest. Um, but going and showing up and meeting people in real life and being part of an organization that can mobilize, um, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, but I am a member of the DSA, the democratic socialists of America that I've been, a part of for over three years in San Francisco, and we've done a lot of work that I'm really proud of. Um, some of it electoral in terms of ballot measures and getting one of our members elected to the uh, board of supervisors in the city and mm-hmm. protections right. for renters, and then some of it more like direct actions and protests and education and passing out supplies to our homeless neighbors, all that kind of stuff. So that is my recommendation, but if another organization is in your city um, that resonates with you more, then go for it. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's important to kind of get out of your house um, if, you know, of course, if you're able, when you're able, given the whole pandemic situation. But, um, you know, be be in the community because that's, that's where you can make an impact and you can meet people yeah. and learn from people and be a part of something. Well, I feel like that's a great... <laughs> great closing sentiment right yeah. there yeah exactly you know? i mean it's like yeah i spent yeah. in in right after the election in 2016 which i don't know like 2015 2016 was like my political awakening i guess um it was yeah. for a lot of people in the in the in the eve of the like you know after trump was elected i was like okay i don't want to you know i don't want to just sit here and feel uh hopeless or whatever helpless uh so i went out i found uh, there was a local branch of uh, Socialist Party USA in Orange County uh, fell apart after a couple of months because <laughs> there were like four members and two of them stopped showing up. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, no, I this this year I worked uh, with Students for Bernie on my campus. That was hugely rewarding. Uh, I'm talking to someone I know in the local branch of uh, DSA, which is a lot more active than the SPUSA branch that mm-hmm. we had. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like if you can, yeah, if you, I know that one of the one of the, one of the like in politics, it has been super helpful for me to actually be a part of something and do something instead of just sitting there and like reading mm-hmm. about uh, reading about everything going on. Yeah, be- yeah, be- right. Because like there, it's not it's no good doing that. It's no good just sitting there and worrying about politics and just like reading every article you come across. You're gonna feel yeah. like shit. Read. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as always, also you know. Um, share 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 what you believe in and and talk to other people radicalize people because you know you know your friends right i mean that's kind of like a big thing to start start with who you who you know and everything and i'm 
very glad that you know a lot of us you know I learned a lot from from talking especially a lot about talking to YC and everything and uh, you know you, you disseminated that through to other yeah. people so and I will yeah. uh, I'll yeah. conclude with well, my my slogan which I'm always saying which I didn't hmm. get a chance to insert until now yep. which is uh, dress trad be rad that's oh, yeah. that's the there young chomsky that's the absolute yeah. perfect thing so you know, so for people, if they want to find you, so they want to keep up with you know, with your synth stuff, with your fits. Work, work. Yeah, where the best way to you? find me is on Twitter at Young Chomsky. It's Y U N G C H O M S K Y, um, and you can listen to Truanon podcast. It's at Truanon Pod uh, on Twitter, and then um, yeah, you can find Truanon. It's like a play on QAnon but true instead of Q. Uh, you can find it wherever podcasts are available. And so we are almost a year in. We're at like 80-some episodes. So, mm. yeah. yeah. We've been doing it for three years, and we're on episode like 45. All right. Well, s- slow and <laughs> so. steady wins the race. <laughs> yeah. Slow <laughs> and steady. I mean, yeah, guys, check out check out uh, True Non. Spence and I were able to, I guess, you know, meet YC for the first time at a live show mm-hmm. that he did when he was here. Yeah, that was um, January, yeah, back- right? January when that kind of thing was year. still legal yeah. <laughs> and safe. Yeah, well, you know, in the future, if you're finding this in the tape <laughs> somewhere in the future and they're and they're doing live shows, make sure you guys go check it out because it was yeah. a lot of fun and my first real exposure to all the uh, Epstein business, at least on that on that level of yeah. it. So, yeah. Well, guys, thank you for listening. Um, again, uh, you can follow us at Style and Direction, all spelled out. You can find it at patreon.com slash Direction if you want to contribute and get a cool bonus episode this... Well, yeah, we get bonus episodes every one, every month. Um, again, not sure when this one's coming out. but So check check your Patreon feeds and the Discord channel uh, for that because you get, a, you get access to our exclusive Discord where we all are on. And it's a lot of great <laughs> stuff in there. Um, I am at Ethan M. Wong. I am Spencer DSO. And we will see you guys in the next one. Uh, bye bye. You can say bye bye too. Bye bye. You know, see if you want to. There we go. Hey everyone, this is Spencer from the beginning of the episode. I'm just here to uh, give a very special shout out to our Sidecast fanatics. That's right, the people who are part of our highest tier possible on Patreon for $10 a month. Uh, so big thanks, uh, big ups, whatever you want to call it, to Seth Peterson, Austin Matlot, Eric Hall, and Shane Curry. Uh, so if you'd like to get your name read at the end of the episode by me or Ethan, either one, I guess, or maybe MJ or uh, Matt, hey, you're giving us $10 a month. You know, you could get whoever you want to say your name. Anyway, go check us out on Patreon, Style and Direction. Uh, that's the name of the podcast. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash Direction. Uh, and sign up there. But anyway, that was the episode. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Solo bye-bye for you. <laughs>